Jesus was born, he came on a mission. And since his ascension, that mission has become our co-mission. Luke is careful to record that in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, I want you to join me there as we look at Luke's record of the Great Commission, where Jesus on at least a third time issued the Great Commission. I've been proposing to us that we consider and pray through a vision for Beach Haven Baptist Church. And the vision statement I propose to you is that Beach Haven Baptist Church will follow Jesus Christ as a local church by winning and baptizing and training great commissionaries of all the nations, tribes, languages, and peoples of the Athens-Clark County region. That's why we need to look and examine the Great Commission. It defines who we are, and again I'll say, the mission of Jesus Christ has become the co-mission of the church. And Jesus Christ defines it here in this text. Well, how in the world would we ever know if we had arrived at the Great Commission? Not in necessarily reading in our Bible, we know when we do that. But how do we know that our lives and church ministry looks like what we read of in the biblical text? When I was a student at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth uh, many years ago, I used to attend the evangelism conferences in the Tarrant County Convention Center. And they would pack the place out with 5,000 pastors and staff and uh, church leaders. And it was one of the most exciting series of conferences ever uh, that uh, we, um, any of us had ever attended. To this day, we still talk about how God met with us in those days. And I'll never forget the evangelism director of the state was Carlos McLeod, and he called to the podium someone he wanted to honor, a uh, pastor who had grown up in the state, had pastored some in Texas, but had gone to the West and had spent 25 years out West pastoring churches, and in 25 years in one major city out West had baptized 20,000 people had won that many and baptized that many to Christ during that time. And he wanted to honor him for his ministry and give him a great symbol of his ministry. And when he came to the podium, he awarded him a book that was entitled Church Growth Manual. And when he opened the book, it was a copy of the New Testament. That's really what this pastor had done with his ministry. It's marvelous that he sought to communicate and stand by the New Testament in his ministry. I want to propose to you today on the basis of Luke chapter 24 that that day Carlos McLeod could have given to this pastor not only a copy of the New Testament, he could have given him also a copy of the Old Testament as well. For in the Old Testament we find that Jesus dealt with the Old Testament as a great commission document. And that surfaces from the page. Beginning in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary, for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. 
Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Ladies and gentlemen, the Great Commission did not begin with Jesus in the Gospels. Let me repeat that. The Great Commission did not begin with Jesus in the Gospel. Its commencement, its inauguration, its genesis is not in the New Testament. The Great Commission did not begin with Jesus in the Gospels. The Great Commission began with God in the Old Testament. In fact, Paul will go so far as to say in Ephesians chapter 3 that this was actually God's plan from the ages. Even before the foundation of the world, it was God's design to use His people to reach the world with the good news of His grace. And He unfolded that as time went on. Now that confuses some people, but really it shouldn't. We teach elementary children, young elementary children, the basics of arithmetic like addition and subtraction before we teach them something a bit more complex like multiplication and division. And, and then we teach them addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division before algebra and before geometry and then higher forms of math. And, and so that's what we find in the Old Testament. We find the addition and subtraction. The New Testament is multiplication, division, and by the time you get to Revelation, the theory of relativity in many cases. It's also the, the relationship between the Old and New Testament is much like the relationship between roots and trunk and branches, leaves and fruit. In, in the Old Testament, we find root and trunk. In the New Testament, we find branches and leaves and fruit. That's the relationship there. So, but in, in any case, what you do find in the Old Testament is not perhaps the fruit or even the leaves or branches, but at the very least in the Old Testament, you find the root and the trunk of the Great Commission is what you find there. And this is how Jesus Christ handles the Old Testament in this text. And so the Great Commission did not begin with Jesus in the Gospels. It began with God in the Old Testament. Therefore, the entire Bible is a Great Commission document. It defines our mission, our Great Commission. So Jesus handled and interpreted the Old Testament as a Great Commission document. And you have to understand... That is simply not true only about isolated text in the biblical text, like the Great Commission that we just read, or what is usually quoted, Matthew 28, which is the most quoted verse among the Anabaptists of the 16th century. Not just individual texts and all, and, and you read that and you come to the end of the Great Commission text, then you move on to a different subject. Oh no. Instead, the Great Commission is assumed and implied in Genesis chapter 1. It was written to the people of Israel when they were released from captivity after the Exodus. And so that has something to do with it. So it's not only a series of isolated texts in the Bible, and then you move on to a different subject. The Great Commission is the warp and the woof of the entire Bible, and that's how Jesus Christ handles it here in Luke chapter 24. That's why it's really hard to get away from when a preacher or teacher faithfully analyzes and expounds the biblical text. So Jesus saw the entire Bible as a Great Commission document. Well, what Great Commission subjects did Jesus see in the Old Testament? 
Well, I want to do this this morning. I want to analyze the text, and then I want to apply it. So the first thing is analysis, second is application. And I I sure don't want to make this sound like a lecture uh, today uh, from a seminary classroom. If I ever do that, um, this will come as close to it as I possibly can. Uh, but that won't happen very often. I'm not apologizing, but there's an awful lot of information here, and if you need a copy of this, uh, we'll seek to post a PDF file online to aid and assist you. But let's first analyze the text. And the first thing I want to say is Jesus saw in the Old Testament the message of the Great Commission. What are we to say to the world when we go to the world? Well, Jesus made this very clear in verse 46. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. So when Jesus read the Old Testament, Jesus saw the message of the Great Commission. Jesus saw his death, his resurrection from the dead on the third day. Now, when he thought about his death or his crucifixion, he may have been thinking about Genesis 3.15 or Genesis 22 or Psalms 22 or Isaiah 53. When he talked about his resurrection, he may have been thinking of Psalms 2 or Psalms 16 or Isaiah 55 or Psalm 68. Well, where in the world would he ever get from the Old Testament the idea of raising from the dead on the third day? Well, let me ask you, where does third day come into play in the Old Testament? Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. And Jesus picks up on this in Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 11. And that becomes an image of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or he may have gotten it from Hosea chapter 6 verse number 2. So Jesus saw his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead on the third day in the Old Testament. And he therefore set the trajectory for how the early church would handle the Old Testament itself and the message of Jesus Christ. They cover these subjects in Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 7, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 13, Acts 14, Acts 17, 18, 20, 22, 26, and 28. This is precisely how they handled the Scripture. So however it is that Jesus handled the Bible, they handled the Bible in the same way. So Jesus saw in the Old Testament the message of the Great Commission. But then Jesus saw in the Old Testament, secondly, the need for the Great Commission. May I ask you, what concerns you most about your world? Their self-confidence? Those things they identify as needs? Jesus had a different urgency about him. In Luke chapter 24, verse 46, this is the primary pulsating, throbbing need of the world that Jesus put before his people. And he said, repentance and remission of sins. The opportunity to turn all of this away and have their sin remitted or their bill paid in full where they no longer owe God a debt or the court of God the debt of their lives. Jesus may have extracted this from Zechariah 13 or Genesis 3 or Exodus 32 or Isaiah 1 or Isaiah 55 or Deuteronomy 27. Let me ask you, has it ever occurred to you that the Bible unfolds as it does because of the entrance of sin in the world in the Garden of Eden. Everything that unfolds in the Bible unfolds because of sin and its entrance into the world. That defines everything. There is not a passage in the Bible that does not take into consideration that the whole earth 
in every family, in every marriage, in every human, in every relationship, in every nation, in every throne, in every place of work, in every place of play is tainted by human sin. And the Bible therefore unfolds as it does precisely because of this message. No wonder the Savior said, repentance and remission of sins is now available through my death, burial, and resurrection. So the Bible unfolds as it does because of sin. Sin is the occasion for the Bible. And Jesus set the trajectory then for his early church. You find this in all the sermons and acts. You find this in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3. And then in, even in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and Revelation chapter 22. I've got good news for you, as Vance Havner said. He said, in my Bible, there is no devil on the first two pages of the Bible. And there's no devil on the last two pages of the Bible. And the same is true with this filthy, nasty, dirty sin. So Jesus saw in the Old Testament the message and need for the Great Commission. But then, Jesus saw in the Old Testament the method of the Great Commission. How do we communicate this to the world? How do we get the message to the world? He said in verse 47, Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name. Unfortunately, the English translations translate the Greek word keruso as preached or proclaim. And too often, the English reader will then limit that to what takes place in the pulpit. And there is almost none of that in the New Testament. Uh, on occasion, the word caruso preached in this text is used for the large group. But it's often used for one-on-one -on -one communication. It's what a news messenger or a courier or a messenger from the king's court would do when he would make an announcement. And sometimes it was one-on-one -on -one Sometimes it was to a large group. Michael Green argues that it is a synonym for the word euangelizo, which we have transliterated into English evangelism. And so it's unfortunate that this is preached or proclaimed because often you find non-preachers and non-clergy engaging this in the biblical text. Jesus may have extracted this from Joel chapter 3, verse 9, or Genesis 41. And Jesus set the trajectory for the early church. The early church was a verbalizing church, was a communicating church, was a speaking church. In fact, if you go through the book of Acts and count the verses, you will find that one out of every three verses is given to the verbal communication of the gospel. You could call the book of Acts not only the Acts of the Apostles, you could call the book of Acts the addresses or speeches of the early Christians because it's not only apostles that are communicating it happens to be also laypersons uh, this is uh, appears in Romans chapter 10 Revelation 5 Revelation 10 Revelation 14 and Revelation 22 so Jesus saw in the Old Testament the method of the Great Commission but then he also saw the authority the authority of the Great Commission in Luke 24 47 he announces this authority and it's very simple you may be asking the question, what right do you have to tell men and women and boys and girls that they should repent from their sins and even mention such a distasteful subject? How could you be so rude? Don't you know that sin is an antiquated idea? And how can you tell someone else 
that if their faith is not a vibrant living faith in Jesus Christ, but some other world religion or philosophical system or religious uh, set of uh, notions, that they are wrong. What right do you have to say that? What right do you have to say that Christ died, was buried, raised again from the dead? Repent and believe the gospel for the remission of sins. What right? Jesus said this is to be preached to all nations in my name. By my authority. Now, if you go and preach in my name, the name of David Mills, I want to warn you, they will lock you up rather quickly and probably should. My name is not worthy. But when you're virgin born and live a sinless life and you're crucified and raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, that name is worthy. And so that is the right. And so I want to say to you, if you're troubled and you... Uh, struggle with us Christians declaring the name of Christ and His message in this world, don't, please don't misunderstand and distort what we're doing. Please do not do that. These people aren't arrogant. These people are not self-confident. It's that the Lord of glory has said, tell the world of repentance and remission and do it by my name and my authority. And quite frankly, they're willing to be misunderstood by you. And they are willing to be distorted by you. We sure hope that doesn't happen. But the King of glory has told us to tell the world of repentance and remission of sins. And this throbs in their heart. And they love the world and they love their Savior. Please don't distort what they're doing. I would encourage you instead to listen. Because the message that they're declaring is certified by a crucified, risen, and coming again Savior. And so we do it in His name. Jesus may have picked up this idea from Deuteronomy 18 or Isaiah 9. His name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the, of the increase of His government, He shall know no end. And this set the trajectory of the sermons and writings of the early church. Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 8, 9, 10, 16, 19. The entire New Testament is communicated and given to the world in the name of Jesus Christ. So Jesus saw authority for the mission in the Old Testament. Then he saw in the Old Testament the extent of the Great Commission. Luke 24, 47, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And this was a stunning, audacious statement. Most of the gods of the ancient world were local and regional. They had no claim on the whole world, but this one risen from the dead says, it's all mine. It belongs to me. And I first want to forgive and transform and transfer spiritually and eternally those in darkness into my light, and then I will come take possession of it. Jesus may have gotten this idea from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. In fact, I'm just about certain he did. And the Greek translation of Genesis 12, 3, which was the Bible of the early church, God says to Abraham, you will be a blessing to all nations. In the Greek language, it's panta to ethne. If you want to impress someone today at lunch, go and say, I learned panta to ethne today in church. Panta to ethne. Look at your neighbor and say, panta to ethne. Would you? Panta to ethne. In the Greek translation of the uh, Old Testament, in Genesis 12, 3, God told Abraham, I'm calling you to go to a land that you do not know, to leave your country 
and I will bless you, and you shall be a blessing, panta to ethne. And in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, make disciples of panta to ethne. He picks up on that language in the Great Commission. In the Psalms alone, there are 175 references to the nations, to the Gentiles' peoples. In fact, he'll say, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 51, Amos chapter 9 are all quoted in the New Testament to justify a mission to all nations. So Jesus set the trajectory then for the early church. We see this in Acts 3, Acts 13, Acts 15, Romans 15, and the entire book of Revelation. In fact, one New Testament scholar out of Scotland, Richard Borkham, has a book on the theology of the book of Revelation. It's a 500-page book, and 100 pages of that particular book is given to the conversion of Gentiles in the book of Revelation alone. So Jesus saw the extent of the Great Commission in the Old Testament, but then He saw the responsibility for the Great Commission. In Luke 24, 48, He said, You shall be witnesses of these things. That's someone that has testimony to give before the court. This word witnesses and its derivatives are used 107 times in the New Testament. Leviticus chapter 5, 1 sets the agenda for a witness. The Lord told Moses if he has seen, heard, or known about something he has witnessed and did not respond to a public call to testify, he's guilty. Jesus may have extracted this understanding in Luke 24 of the witness from Deuteronomy 17 or Ezekiel 3 or Ezekiel 33. And he set the trajectory for early Christian witness. And this appears in Acts 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 10 and 13 and 20 and 1 Peter chapter 5 and in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 11, and chapter 17. And then Jesus saw in the Old Testament the power of the Great Commission. He said, wait in Jerusalem until you experience power from on high, the promise of the Father. Jesus could have extracted this from Isaiah 61 or Joel chapter 2 or Isaiah 44. And this sets the agenda for the early church. Romans chapter 8 is the longest chapter anywhere in the Bible on the Holy Spirit. 23 references by name and pronoun in Romans chapter 8. Revelation itself includes 17 references to the Holy Spirit. So let me summarize what we've said up to this point. Jesus defined the Old Testament as a Great Commission document, or better, as one scholar said, he could dip into the Old Testament at a thousand different points and find something relevant to the Great Commission, and it confuses me why it's so absent from so many Christian lives. So let's, let's apply this. And let me say to begin with, when we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, we are embracing a large body of commitments with Him. Whenever we embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Master of our lives, as I hope you will today, and you'll have the chance at the end of the message to do so. But when we do that, that entails many other commitments. That means we adopt His approach to life and eternity. That means we adopt His approach to money. 
That means we adopt His approach to love. That certainly means we adopt His approach to marriage and sexuality. That means we adopt His approach to worship and the priorities of our lives. That means also we embrace His approach to the Bible. Jesus believed the Bible and saw it in a certain way, therefore we do as well. It is impossible to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and veer from Him in concept and thought in faith when it comes to the Word of God. If Jesus believed in the inerrancy of Scripture, we believe it as well. If Jesus Christ saw the Bible as a Great Commission document, we see it as a Great Commission document as well. It's what we do. So a commitment to Jesus Christ entails other commitments. And thank God we've got four Gospels to make it clear. And so this commitment to Jesus Christ and this understanding of this view of the Bible missionizes or great commissionizes several areas of of our lives. I I, I could stay here and and go for two or three hours. In fact, I'd really like to, but I'd be alone after a while. (laughs) But I want to mention just four this morning. Because of Jesus' view of the Bible, the Great Commission missionizes our study. That is, we are to study all passages of Scripture as if they contribute to the Great Commission and one of the seven subjects I just enunciated that actually come from the text, not because I enunciated them, but because they're in the text. I started preaching when I was way too young. I am absolutely stunned that my pastor in my church trusted entrusted the pulpit to me when I was 17 years old. I'm sure there are going to be a number of people I will meet in heaven who've got a few conversations to be had with me when I get there about my early preaching. In fact, my first sermon was preached before my congregation sometime in 1983, the spring of 1983, I think it was April, and I preached on the armor of God. And there were so many details in there, I lost track of time. And in my first sermon, I preached one hour long. And my pastor got up after me and said, well, folks, at least he's not short-winded. And that's all he said. (laughs) But having come out of a background direct of any Christian influence, I needed to grow. But I looked in the Scripture and I saw about three subjects. It didn't matter what text it was. I was going to preach on one of three subjects. I mean, for several years I had three sermons. A whole Bible, but three sermons, essentially. And it didn't matter. Now, I mean, I had, uh, after a few years, hundreds of manuscripts. But really, only three subjects. Get saved. Get right with God and get busy telling people about Jesus. Well, the Lord blessed me with the opportunity to go to school. 
fact, I was in school after high school graduation more than before high school graduation. And I won't pull out my resume, but the, the Lord blessed me and enabled me to study. In fact, my, my last degree, I had the opportunity to take three courses outside my major where we read 35 books in one semester and took a comprehensive exam at the end of the semester along with two or three other seminars. One was on preaching, one was on New Testament, one was on interpretation of the Bible. And then my major was Christian missions. And I did that for a whole year, that level of reading. And I loved it. That was my, that was my sweet spot in, in study. I, I, I was too ADD to sit in class and listen. So I struggled more with my other degrees than I did with my last one. Because I love to read and I love to get into class in a small group and debate. And uh, love to write papers. I did. So I had the opportunity to go to school and to learn. And for me, it was devotional. It was doxological. It was a benediction to my soul. It thrilled me. I, I really got the best in many ways. And from, frankly, the best people in the kingdom. So after all these years, and having been preaching for 30 years, whereas before when I was 17, I saw three subjects in Scripture, get saved, get right with God, and get busy telling people about Jesus. Do you know what I see in the Scripture now? Get saved, get right with God, get busy telling people about Jesus. Now there's more in the Scripture than that. But somehow I stumbled into an appropriate approach when it comes to the Scripture. Now don't misunderstand me. God is very concerned about your needs, and He loves you, and He's a Father. And He's able to talk with you and speak to your heart without reference always to these subjects. But I have to tell you, the Great Commission will meet many a need in a struggling Christian. It will. In fact, it is hard to live in power and in the fullness of the Holy Spirit without obedience to His Great Commission. So the Great Commission missionizes our study. It is imperative then that we approach each biblical text with the question, how does this text help us understand the Great Commission? But there's a second thing it missionizes, not only our study, but our teaching. In Luke chapter 24, in one of Jesus' last messages to His disciples, you did not have to wonder and stumble about in the dark wondering what He was saying and how to find God. And how to find the forgiveness of sins. That happens too often in pulpits. That happens too often in Bible studies. People walk in guilty. And I want to speak to preachers and teachers for a moment. I know you're optimistic about the folks you're preaching and teaching to. But please don't ever give in to the temptation of thinking that there aren't any non-Christians in your crowd and audience. And don't ever think that there aren't Christians that need to learn of the sweet and tender mercies and graces of Jesus Christ for their sins. It is difficult to live for Christ. And so to these apostles, after three years of teaching, Jesus keeps saying, verse number 46, look here. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. You did not have to climb through 10,000 miles of religious knowledge to find the saving gospel of Christ when Jesus spoke. It was at the front. He told sinners what to do with their sins, and they call him blessed for doing so. The Great Commission then missionizes our teaching. 
In other words, I believe we are obligated before God to put enough gospel in every lesson for sinners to be saved. And I want to urge all of those with the ministry of the Word, cover the text and be faithful to it, but give at least five minutes in every lesson to tell sinners what they can do with their sins. And if you will explain the public invitation on Sunday morning, that would be a great service to them as well. So the Great Commission missionizes our study and our teaching, but the Great Commission also missionizes our emphasis. This text here is what theologians would call Christocentric. That's a $40 college word which means centered on Christ. It is about Christ, and Christ is teaching about Himself. Look at verse number 44. Then He said to them, About the Old Testament, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the three major divisions of the Old Testament. The Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. You could categorize every Old Testament book and prophet in one of these three categories. The Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. And then look at the subject at the end of verse 44. The Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Jesus is arguing here that the Old Testament is Christocentric. It is centered on Jesus Christ. He's the heart. He's the soul. He's the warp. He's the woof. He's the darling. He's all there is through the Old Testament. Now, there's an awful lot of contributing material. Don't misunderstand me. But that's what we find in the Old Testament. And so he opened their understanding in verse 45 that they might comprehend that. And he goes into detail in verse 46 through 49. There is his death in verse 46, his suffering. And then there is his resurrection from the dead in verse 46. Then repentance and remission of sins preached in his name to all nations, his territory, beginning in Jerusalem, one day his capital city for his kingdom. And you are witnesses of these things. The promise of His Father. This text through and through is about Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is not enough to appeal to a people by saying, what we need today is God. That's true. But God wants to be known in Jesus Christ. When God appeared, He looked just like Jesus. Because Jesus indeed was God. And God the Father and God the Holy Spirit promote and advance the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not enough to believe in God, to honor God, or even to worship God. God Himself wants all the earth to worship Jesus Christ and to trust Him. And so God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are Christocentric as well, are centered on Jesus Christ. And so it's not enough to to worship God and to trust God or even a higher power. It is necessary to give ourselves to Jesus Christ and we advance Him. So it missionizes our emphasis. Folks, in other states, I've attended some worship services and these services have lacked Christ to such an extent that Orthodox Jews and some Muslims could agree to the content of the service. Not here. Not here. And I appreciate so much what our worship and music ministry is doing to exalt Jesus Christ, and thus it shall ever be. So the Great Commission missionizes our emphasis, but then the Great Commission 
missionizes our friendships. The faithful Christian must communicate repentance and remission of sins. As distasteful as that may be in some quarters. I don't think it is as distasteful as some might say. But without a heart humbled by the reality and the brokenness of sin, there is no hope of salvation. There is a very real sense in which you and I have the same task as an oncologist. Sometimes we have to deliver the bad news. We, we have the same task as an auto mechanic. We have to deliver bad news at times. In fact, the good news is not good news until the bad news is embraced and trusted. And so we've got to communicate that to family, friends, and strangers. So I want to say to you, the best friend of the sinner is not the politician or the civics leader who confirms him in his sin and gives approval to that sin. The best friend of any sinner is the one who will announce that all have sinned and that there is grace greater than all our sins. That's the one who is the best friend of the sinner. So Jesus viewed the Great Commission, or excuse me, the Old Testament as a Great Commission document. He set the pattern and the trajectory for the church. And the early church saw the Bible as Jesus did. The Great Commission nature of the Bible then radically missionizes our Bible study and our Bible teaching and our Bible sharing. My missions professor in seminary, Justice Anderson, told of his call and his wife's call to serve on the international mission field in Argentina for the years that they did. He sensed a call when he got to seminary. That's not what he went to seminary for, nor she. But he sensed the call, and he tried to get her called to international missions too. And it wasn't working. She didn't sense a call while he did. And he confessed he got a little pushy with her. And once he sensed that that certainly wasn't going to work, he backed off and began to pray. And about, I think he said about six months later, she came to him. And eventually she said, you know, um, I sense a call too. But here's how she put or started that conversation about her call to international missions. She came to him and she said, Justice, do you remember that call to international missions you were talking about a few months ago? And he said, yes, every time I read the Bible. He got it. He got it. God has a world on his heart. He cares for the world. He loves them. And he's put churches, embassies all over the planet. And they're the only institution that exists for people who aren't members yet. And he's given them this great commission document full of power and truth and certainty and a sure foundation. And He so much wants the world to embrace His Son, He gave His Son in death at the cross and raised Him and given him, has given Him a name above every name. And He, to our own detriment at times, has commissioned us to go into this world with sacrifice and with service and with sharing and with song and with word and to invite all men, women, boys and girls, all of those still breathing, to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. And so there should be no doubt about God's commitment 
to His great great commission. In fact, there is enough material here in the Word of God to make a great commotion about this great commission. And anything less is inappropriate and unworthy of that name. You may say to yourself, though, I've got to admit, though, God's mission is not my mission. I've pursued my own. I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ announces this morning that there is repentance and remission of sin, of all sins, because He died and rose again. If you'll repudiate your missions, God will eagerly wait to cancel His death sentence against you for that sin and all the others. You've got the opportunity now to come. And what we'll do is that I'm going to pray for you this morning. And after I pray, we'll stand and we'll ask you to come. As staff will stand here. You step out from where you are, from your pew, and come have God meet your spiritual need. And if we can help, we want to help you. Would you quickly stand with me, please? Oh God, we want to praise you that you are steadfast in your mission. You persevere. You do not waver. You don't grow weary. You do not lose strength or fervor. And we thank you because we sure have many times. And here today, God, there are folks that have never embraced your son and therefore have not embraced your mission. They're pursuing something else and haven't even given a moment's thought to eternity. But we thank you that you stay concentrated and focused on these things. And we bless you for that. And we want to pray for the Holy Spirit's help and power and graces now. That friends may repent and repudiate and reject all other interests and all other loyalties that are not Jesus Christ. We pray they will trust you enough to come to your son. Let them know your love. Let them know your grace and your mercy now. We're going to sing. And when we sing, step out from where you are. Come meet a staff member here in front and let us help you with your spiritual need, would you? And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You come.
you together and all from the community who will come for a marvelous Christ-honoring Christmas production entitled The Promise. Our worship and music ministry will deliver that tonight beginning at 6.30. And if you are still breathing at 6.30 tonight, come. If you've got some doubt, well, find some transportation. We want you here, okay? What a marvelous thing that'll be. You see in your worship guide many, many, many ministry opportunities this week and next. Military ministry tomorrow morning. Ruth, Women on Mission have got a special guest speaker, 10 o'clock Thursday in Building D. Dr. George Fail, a medical missionary from Ghana. You'll want to be a part of that. Everyone's invited. Let uh, George Ann know if you're coming. There's lunch afterwards. Let her know if um, you're able to come. We have a special prayer service December the 17th, and I'm focusing that evening on children, ailing children, wayward children, sick children, uh, adult children, minor children. If you've ever been a child, that would be a great opportunity to come together and pray. And then, uh, of course, uh, family Christmas party December the 12th. Let Melanie know today if you're able to come. And then uh, Adult Christmas Caroling, Tuesday, December the 16th. There's some changes uh, here. We're meeting 530 the 16th here and then leaving at 6 o'clock and then going to the Schimmels afterward. If you'll keep that in mind, we would appreciate Then the women's ministry has got a shopping opportunity as uh, well. And I'm sure no one's interested in that at all, are they? Well, let me ask our ushers to come forward if they will. And I want to say to you that in your worship guide this morning, you've got a Lottie Moon Christmas offering insert. Uh, Lottie came up with the idea for an offering more than 100 years ago. One of the most dynamic, committed, sacrificial, thoughtful, strategic missionaries in Christian missionary his history, and she's ours. Now, some say, well, when are we ever going to pay her off? Well, never. <laughs> Never, uh, because the need of the world goes on. When the last person comes to Christ, will be done. But you see there that insert, this is a traditional thing to do that is a marvelous tradition. There are eight segments there, about eight different missionaries that you can pray for one a day for the next eight days. There are uh, times when we use these in our home for family devotions. In fact, there are missionaries serving in a war zone. And they are written up there, and we want you to think through that, pray through that, and then let us give faithfully. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, we just want that connection card from you today. Uh, our members take care of the giving. That's what the Bible teaches. Members do that. And we do that and are enthused because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thank God for His indescribable gift. And we know who that's talking about, don't we? After our offering and when we are done this morning, I would appreciate if you'll work real hard uh, this uh, morning. If you will reach out and get to know three people that you don't know today, I would be very pleased uh, for you to do that, if you'll take an opportunity to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you because the mission of grace to the world is your soul. And as we enter into a season of giving, Lord, I can't help but thinking of your giving. How generous and how abundant, how quick and how eager, how timely are your gifts. In fact, Lord, your word tells us in Psalm 69, 15, that you daily load our lives with benefits. And your arms are always filled to overflowing with gifts. Lord, you've never had a problem, but if you did, it would be how to carry all those gifts you give to us. And so we praise you. And we pray in this season of giving that you would guide us in giving in a way that matters. We pray that you guard us from what's frivolous, useless, and materialistic. And give us a hunger to give to eternity. And then when we've given to give, 
Lord, give some more. Guard us from satisfaction and pride and apathy. And may we be like Jesus, who gave us the greatest gift of all. In his name we pray. Amen. We do hope that you will come tonight. I hope you'll come a little bit early. Uh, our own George A. Murdoch is going to be starting some free service music here at 6 o'clock. So we look forward to seeing you then. Let's continue to worship as our, we're passing up y'all.